0: Oh, it is great to worship together, and again, thank you all for coming to our uh, 830 service, and for those of you uh, watching the atrium or out on live stream, we appreciate uh, everyone who's uh, helping us with this uh, kind of celebration of moving to three services and getting room for more and more people to come be part of what we're doing. And today we find ourselves in Amos chapter 3, and I uh, didn't know much about Amos growing up. But it turns out one of the main verses that we're going to look at today was plastered on my house. My father takes up a new habit, new skill, new craft about every couple of years and just gets amazing at it in just a few years. And when he was first married, he took up wood burning or wood carving. And so around our house, yeah, you know, for the next 10 years were all of these carvings that he made where he took different verses and carved them into the wood and they'd be plastered in the living room or plastered in a bedroom or in the hallway. So this one's Jesus is the way that my dad made. I am the way. But there was one in the hallway growing up that said, can two walk together unless they are agreed? Now, I remember seeing that all the time, not thinking much of it. I knew it was probably a Bible verse. But it's not only a Bible verse, it's kind of the key concept that God's going to talk about in Amos chapter 3, and It comes out of chapter 3. And the idea is that God wants to walk with us together through life. And that if we don't agree on the direction we're going, if we don't agree on where we're headed, we're going to end up causing friction because I'm going to want to go this way and you're going to want to go that way. And that principle is not just true spiritually, it's true in all of our lives, right? Do you ever start a business with someone? and you're working with somebody, and you think, hey, we're going to build this thing, we're going to create this thing, and, and as time goes on, you kind of sense that how you're prioritizing decisions or your management style, something's getting more and more off, and you're not walking together, and you're having to revisit, and what, what, what do we say we're trying to do? And if you can't agree, it ends up breaking the friendship or breaking the business partnership. Certainly happens in marriage, right? In marriage, you got kind of a having kids for the first time, and and you think you're on the same page with how you're going to parent, and then as you have kids, you start finding one of you is about this, about discipline, the other one's like this, undisciplined, and kids are so smart, they're pushing the buttons and using you against each other, and you kind of regroup and say, we got to get on the same page here. Same thing's true. Maybe you've been going one direction, you've got a relative or friend who's off on a negative path, a rebellious path, an addictive path, a gambling path, And they keep trying to tell you, you need to enable them or help them or rescue them. And you're like, listen, here's the good path. I'm willing to walk a thousand miles with you on this path, but I can't go down that path any further. So as soon as you want to come over here, let's enjoy this path. But I can't enable or rescue or reinforce the path of rebellion you're on. What does it mean to walk together with God And walk together with others. Because God loves us enough to say, listen, I want you to walk with me on the path of life. And I want to warn you of the consequences and the pain if you stay on that path of rebellion. That's the main idea we're going to look at today. God wants us to walk with him on the path of life. And he warns us that we won't escape the consequences on the path of rebellion. So let's get three things to remember in hopes that we can enjoy walking through life with God and not spending all of our trying to outwit, outmaneuver, and, and outrun uh, maybe the consequences of the other paths. First thing we need to remember, this comes right out of the heart of God. This is how it begins in chapter 3. Remember, God is willing to give my path a little pain now before I implode With a lot of pain later. That's what discipline is really. It's a little pain now. So you'll know before you get to the lot of pain later that comes on that path. Here's how he says it in Amos chapter 3. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel. Against the whole family. Remember, I brought you out of the land of Egypt. I rescued you. I redeemed you. I loved you. My motive here, my, my, my... my motivation for you is good. Remember, I brought you to Egypt. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. you is a special place in my heart. You are my children. You are beloved. You are cared for. Therefore, since I love you and since I care for you and since you're my kids, I'm going to need to discipline or punish you when you go down the path of iniquities or sin. I love you enough to give you a little pain now on that path because I don't want you to experience a lot of pain later. Then he says, can two walk together unless they are agreed? And right now we're not agreeing. I'm thinking we go down the good path and you're heading down the bad path and the best thing I can do for you is not rescue but have you experience a little pain now so you realize it's a dangerous path before you get to the cul-de-sac at the bottom. Now this idea is going to be picked up in the New Testament very, very, almost directly, that because God loves us, he disciplines us. It's the theme of Hebrews chapter 12. You may recognize it. If you endure chastening, the writer of Hebrews says, God deals with you as with sons. For a son, what son is there that a father does not chasten or discipline? So if God is disciplining you or chastening you, it's because you're his son, it's because you're his child. He loves you enough not to be apathetic. I don't care what you do. He cares enough about you to give you a little pain now before you experience a lot of pain later. In fact, many of you will say, Hey, Chad, what, what series are we doing now or what's happening next week? I'll get texts occasionally from small group leaders. And so a little, little sneak peek of where we're headed. Right now we're in the book of Amos. We're going to be covering Amos through June, chapter, uh, June 13th. And one of the themes that comes up in Amos over and over again is repentance. So you'll feel that theme for the next couple weeks. Then we're going to start a six-month study of the book of Hebrews. And we are going to be looking at who Jesus is. And we're going to discover that he is bigger and better and more breathtaking than anything you've ever read about or seen or heard about in the Bible. And so that's where we're headed if you want to start studying up for where we're headed. In fact, our administrative team and myself have been working for the last four months to take messages going back 15 years and categorize them on the app. So if you're interested in kind of going back to some old series, you can pull up our app. Scroll down to book by book. You'll see the book by book button. If you click on that button, it'll pull up a menu, and you will see it is now populated with 15 to 18 years of messages by book of the Bible and by subject you can search on. So you'll see, for example, Genesis, there's now 46 messages here, and Exodus 17, and Leviticus 27, and you know, Joshua 13, Judges, and you jump over to Jeremiah, there's only one. I've got to work on Jeremiah. And the Psalm's 37. Nehemiah 11, if you go into the New Testament, you'll see Mark 40 messages, Luke 108, Revelation 17, and you'll see Hebrews has four. We covered a little piece of it years ago, but we're going to do the entire book. So again, this can be a great resource for you. When you hear us talk about the fact we're committed to verse-by-verse Bible teaching, um, there's the evidence, right? That's 18 years of teaching verse-by-verse through the Bible and resources you can use just as you're sitting down wanting to grow spiritually. Uh, use that as something that's available to you. I want that to help you in your journey. You know, I went skiing. I love downhill skiing. And I went skiing a couple uh, months ago. And we got done skiing one day. And we are sitting around on the table. And a couple of the guys I was skiing with have known some of the challenges I've been going through for the last couple of years with my wife's backs and with my uh, son and his autism. And they said, hey, do you mind if we ask you something personal? And I said, no, it's fine. And they said, why do you think after struggling with whether or not you should adopt 12 years ago, why do you think God's put so much challenge in your life? <sighs> I'm not sure what question, I was hoping for a Bible question actually, but I'm like, wow, that's a, that's a big one. Um, and I got a little tearful answering it, but I said you know, if I was God and I wanted to grow Chad, what would I do? I would know that Chad is extremely resourceful Chad is a ultimate problem solver, Chad's got a lot of strengths and gifts. He's humble a lot of the time, not all the time. But if there's one thing that's going to cause Chad a lot of pain later, it's self-sufficiency. So I'm willing to give a big challenge to Chad now because I got to rescue him from the pain that comes from living a self-sufficient life when you're dependent upon yourself and not God. I said, for most people, that would require this much challenge. And they'd be like, I give! Chad takes a little bit more before he gives. So I'm going to have to give him... And I said, I think that's what God's doing, is God loves me enough to rescue me from the dangers of a self-sufficient life. And all three of them kind of literally body language sat back in their chair. One of them let out a loud noise. Wow. And I wasn't mean to be dramatic. And they said, that's pretty amazing that you can have that perspective. I said, well, (laughs) the alternative perspectives are real great. But I said, I really do believe that. And I tell you, this last nine months has been amazing. Uh, we've had three years of kind of hellish uh, circumstances, but this last nine months, my son who we've been trying to potty train for 12 years has finally potty trained during COVID, which has been terrible for special needs families. It has been a phenomenal time for us. Uh, my son is progressing in amazing ways. My wife's back is, um, relatively healed and I get my life back and my wife back and you know I look at what's happened in Christendom for the last three years and the Christian leaders who have fallen and not been faithful and, and I'm like, you know God, I may have crawled my way through this thing, but I'm still faithful to you and faithful to my wife and and God, you have grown me through this. And I didn't like it. Don't want to go through it again. It felt like a winter. But God, I feel like the spring and the summer is coming as I am trusting that you gave me a little pain now, so I didn't experience the the implosion pain that happens from depending on yourself. So don't forget to remember, God is motivated by love even when he puts challenges in our life. Second thing we wanna remember, remember that making a U-turn is the only way to avoid a dead end. God's like, all right, we're on a path. You're headed there, that's a cul-de-sac. That's a dead end. There's no way to outsmart it or work around it. It's just turnaround time. That's what, that's what repentance means, turnaround time. Come back from your dead end and let's walk together on this path. But the problem is when you start walking down that path, I'm not going to get hurt. It won't happen to me. And God's like, don't go that way. Oh, come on, don't be a big deal. And just kind of like, like, a, like a moth to the flame, you know. So God is going to try and tell them, convince us, whoops, try and plead with us to make a U-turn. He's going to use three questions to do it. Number one, do you see the signs that you're on a dead end path? Here's how he says it. Do you not see the signs of the path of pain you're on? He gives several examples of signs they should be seeing that reference the ideas that Amos would have seen as a shepherd. Number one, will a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Do you hear the lion? The lion is roaring, the lion of just roaring on your behalf because you're stepping into the trap. Hear that, see that, turn around time. Will a young lion cry out from his den if he hasn't caught nothing? Retort: of course not. So if you're seeing lions roar in your life, it's a sign that maybe you're starting to get caught in some traps. And you need to back up and turn back to me. Will a bird fall into a snare on earth unless it got caught? Will a snare spring up from the earth unless it's caught something? He's giving examples. When you see snares springing and birds falling and when you see lions roaring, these are signs that the path you're on is a dead end. And you need to kind of heighten your awareness and say, listen, I have talked myself into nonsense and I need to turn back around and walk with God on his path. And haven't you done that with friends? Haven't friends tried to do that with you? Haven't you done that as a parent, as a grandparent? You've tried to nicely, kindly warn somebody of the path they're going on. Hey, do you see this? Have you noticed that? Is that working out the way you thought it would, right? The lion is roaring that you're in danger. Back in 2012, I had an opportunity to go on a safari. And when I was on a safari, I got to go face-to-face with a lion. And it was pretty amazing because we'd gone over there to Africa. I was doing some balloon animals and and teaching some kids. And then after that, I was teaching some teachers how to go through the Bible using fast-track Bible, using simple drawings. Well, then, surprise, the last day, they took us on a safari. Hundred-mile-wide crater. We go in there, and we come up on these amazing scenes. It's like, cue the birds. I felt like I was in Lion King. In fact, those rocks in the middle are not rocks. Those are all hippos right there in the middle of the scene. Just amazing views. And as we're taking our, our little pop up Jeep along the way, we're heading back out of the safari and we come across a lion coming at us. And as the lion's getting closer and closer to us, I am getting nervous because the top is popped. There's like a foot and a half hole where a lion could jump in. And I'm looking around like the driver's not nervous, the other people aren't nervous, I'm nervous. Lion coming, boop, 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 boop. warning, warning, Will Robinson, warning, warning, lion on the way. No one seems nervous. No one seems to care. I'm like, you know what? Who here could I outrun? I can outrun that guy. <laughs> I could outrun her. Oh, and I'm going to protect my wife. Who else could I outrun? I'm looking for something, you know, magazine, something I could smack on the head of the lion, right? I am aware I'm in danger and making mental decisions. That's what Amos is saying you should be aware based on what's happening on this path, like a lion is chasing you, I need to turn around. Now the lion comes over, he lays down right next to us. Look at this, me and the lion, yeah, There's a lion. We kind of drive off, no problem at all. And I'm thinking, sure, this time, this time. And I think that's what happens. When, when you don't face consequences, the first moment, you start being wooed into the idea that there are no consequences on the path. And you don't do the U turn. So, first question Do you see the dangers on the path? Secondly, he says, Do you hear it? Do you hear the dead end coming? Hear it? Yeah, there's a dead end coming. There's a train coming at you, in fact. Do you hear the dead end coming? So you'll U turn. If a trumpet is blown in the city, and they would use a shofar if enemy soldiers were coming. That was the sign in the city, everyone knew. Danger's coming, prepare. So there's a sound of the trumpet was to tell you a dead end is coming. You need to get ready. Amos says, "Do you hear? When, when a trumpet is blown in a city, people know danger's coming. Will not the people be afraid? Wow, this is not good. If there's calamity in a city, will not the Lord have done it? Surely the Lord does not do anything. He doesn't bring calamity, bring punishment, bring discipline, unless he first reveals his secret." to his servants, the prophets. And the word secrets here in Hebrew is a, an intimate family meeting. Hey guys, guys, let's talk. We need a family meeting. We're going in some directions that are not good. And we need to turn around. And we need to kind of get on the same page. And we need to make some changes. Sounds like we're all getting mad at each other. And we're kind of getting uh, a little frustrated each other. So it's this intimate meeting of God saying long before pain comes, long before consequence happen, God has an intimate meeting and that's what the prophet's job was to do. It wasn't to bring hellfire and brimstone. It was to have an intimate family meeting and say, guys, please, please listen. Bad stuff down that path. I, I love you. I don't want you to experience bad stuff. So can I tell you the secret? The secret is it's painful over there. And the good news is I want you to walk over here. But I want you to hear the pain coming before you end up in it. That's what God might be saying to you. It might be things you've let slip in your anger or your attitude, the way you handle your money, the way you handle your calendar, some compromises you've started to make. And God's like, hey, listen, listen. Now's a great time for a U-turn. and and there's a lot of grace, there's a lot of mercy, it's come on over. Come on over here, it's better over here. That's the idea. A lion has roared. Roar! Is God mad at me? No. God's roaring to let you know, danger! Hear it! Who will not fear? Who would not go, whoa, what's going on? I may not have realized this is a bad path. Yeah, it's a bad path. Roar! Oh, a bad path. Turn around. The Lord has spoken. Who can but prophesy? How can we not say something about this? That's the idea he's getting at. And sometimes it's because we hold grudges. Sometimes it's because we're holding bitterness. Sometimes we're just off the path and God wants to bring us back. I was uh, reading a story my son in law mentioned to me called The Lion of Rudapriag. It's this, actually, it's not a lion, it's a leopard. The the leopard of Rudapriag. And this leopard, in like 1910, was going through and devouring people in this Hindu village. It was very weird because leopards don't typically have a taste for human flesh. And so they brought in the British government and the soldiers to try and investigate this thing. And this lion was becoming so aggressive, this leopard was becoming so aggressive, he would actually burst in through the walls of, the, of your hut and take people out of their huts. And so it was getting very dangerous. People were locked in their homes, scared to death. Nobody was doing anything. Nobody was going anywhere because of the leopard of Rudapryach. The soldiers came in. They're trying to try and investigate what's causing this, what caused this, and they could not figure it out. So they hired a, a British specialist in hunting. And he hunted down this lion. And he discovered how it d- developed a thirst for human blood. About 10 years earlier, there had been a, what was called a war fever. A giant pandemic had struck the area there in the village. Because of that, when someone died, people didn't want to get infected, so they would take the bodies and drag them out into the woods and just leave the body festering there in the woods, didn't bury it. Well, there was kind of a famine going through the land, and so the leopards were starving to death. and Instead of hunting, they would see all these human bodies around festering, and they would actually begin to eat it, and they became developed a taste for human flesh. And Because of the festering bodies left by this village, they developed and created a flesh-eating leopard that was now attacking their village. At that point, you might say, ah, well, Who did this to us? You did it to yourself. You fed that thing. You created that thing. You made a monster. And God often says to us, long before that leopard hunts you and you let it grow and get big and get ferocious, stop feeding it greed. Stop feeding it bitterness and letting that unforgiveness fester in your heart. You fed this, and if you keep feeding it, it will eventually tear you apart. So hear now. Before that thing grows. And do a U-turn. Because if you don't, third thing is you're going to lose the ability to discern what's right and wrong. He goes on and says, this path, and you go on, you will eventually lose the ability to hear God or hear the prophet help you turn around. Here's how he says it. Proclaim in the palaces of Ashdod and in the palaces of land of Egypt and say, assemble on the mountains of Samaria. So gather everybody together. we got to tell everybody about whatever we're going to talk about. u turn. That's what we're talking about. So on a map, here's Samaria, where Jesus goes to Samaria. Uh, here is Ashdod. We studied first Samuel. We learned about Ashdod. Samuel did a lot of work with that in the Philistine country. And then obviously Egypt, which is over here. So this is the, you know, tell everybody, tell everybody everywhere, you turn, now's the time, do it now while you still can listen, before you lose the ability to discern my voice. He goes on. The mountains of Samaria see such great tumults in her midst. you see the, the, the tumults are coming, bad stuff's happening, and the oppressed within her, for they do not know what is right. They don't even know anymore. They're so far down the path, they don't even know that I thought this was a good path. You lose the ability to discern right and wrong. And God is saying, before you get there, man, turn around. Before I give you over to your debased mind, or give you over to your to your your passions, as Romans 1 says. Says the Lord, who store up violence. You're storing up, you're building up, you're feeding this thing. You're feeding your robbery, you're feeding the violence in all of their palaces. It's accumulating. And God wants you to help get free. And yet, if you turn to God, his arms are wide open. Is this a lightning bolt, God? This is no come back from the edge, God. I want to help you find my mercy and grace. Starting was talking to my buddy Mike this week. He said about 30 years ago, a buddy of his was just off the tracks. He was going through a horrible divorce. His wife had cheated on him. And he was hurt and in pain and just all of the things that happen when you go through a betrayal and he was just headed toward destruction when somebody introduced him my friend mike so mike started meeting with him and they met together for for a while and just started going through the book of john together he didn't really have a connection with god didn't really have much faith But he was eating up this friendship, eating up this relationship, and eating up God's word and finding healing and connection and peace and joy. Well, Mike and he uh, parted paths. They moved to different parts of the country for a while. And years later, like 30 years later, they had a 60th birthday party for this guy. And Mike got invited. Everyone was gathered together, and they were at a big restaurant, and they had ordered a private room, and they were all singing happy birthday. And this guy got up in front of all of his friends and he got real emotional and he said, I gotta tell you something, there's a guy here that if he had not come into my life, I don't know where I would be today. I don't even know if I'd be alive today. I was in such a low spot, in such a broken spot. And the, the guy who saved my life by bringing me back to God and helping me meet who God is, is that guy right there. And, pointed to my friend Mike who was a little embarrassed yeah thanks and Mike said I was so proud that God had used me to help somebody who was headed down a bad path turn around and of all the ways God could have done it he used me to be part of that journey that's what's exciting about discipling people and reaching people and, and befriending people is we get to be part of graciously and mercifully helping people get to know the God who made them and created them That's what we're about as a church, right? We're not just trying to learn Bible studies and Bible trivia for ourselves. We're trying to teach all of us how to turn to God and walk with him through life. That's why we run three services. That's why I got up at 5.45 this morning. I'm not a morning person. Because we want to create space for people to grow and be equipped and explore their faith. So remember, when you're heading down a a dead end, now's a good time for a U-turn third thing to remember is that we can delay, but we can't escape the consequences of rebellion, All right? So if you're headed toward a cliff and God's like, hey, waterfall coming, danger coming, you can slow walk that. You can delay the consequences See, so it didn't hurt. You can turn your back on it. Not going to happen to me. Nobody's going to get hurt but me. Oh, stop reacting. Oh, don't make it such a big deal. You can delay the consequences of rebellion without a doubt. Sometimes you can delay it for a decade or two. But you won't escape it. Galatians says, you reap what you sow in due time. Eventually the consequences catch up. And that's exactly what God says to Israel here. Therefore, says the Lord God, an adversary is going to come around the land. Assyria and Babylon are coming. And he's going to sap your strength from you. And these palaces that you plundered from others, they're going to get destroyed. And like a shepherd trying to pull you out of the mouth of the lion, you're going to end up with like two hind legs and and a left ear. There's going to be a remnant. I'm going to be faithful to the remnant. But guys, it's going to be a remnant. There's going to be a lot of carnage That occurs when Assyria and Babylon come in. You're telling me, we don't need your protection, God, so I'm gonna remove my protection. And you're gonna face the consequences of not having my protection. He goes on. So the children of Israel be taken out. Those who dwell in Samaria, you think you're safe? You think you're in the corner of your bed or on the edge of your couch? Uh, We're safe. Hear and testify against the house of Jacob, says the Lord. Tell them, tell them, no, they're not safe. No, you may have delayed the consequences, but you can't escape the consequences. It's time to repent. In that day, having removed my hand of protection, I'm going to punish Israel for their transgressions. And I'm going to also visit destruction on the altars of Bethel. Why does he hate their church so much? The gigantic church of Bethel. He's going to bring destruction on his altars at Bethel? The horns of the altar that people would go to for mercy are going to be cut off and fall to the ground? Then I'm going to destroy the winter house along with the summer house. Your houses of ivory shall perish and the great houses will come to an end. And you're going to see God is going to talk a lot about what he doesn't like about the worship going on. Stop the music. I don't like what's going on. I don't like your sacred assemblies. I don't savor that stuff. Just stop it all there in Bethel. Why? What we say in here is you've invested your time, your money, and your energy in things that don't last. Nothing wrong with having a summer house, nothing wrong with having a winter house, but you have not put God in the center of your life. And so these things that you think are gonna last forever, your great houses, will have an end. They're temporal, they're not focused on me, Your particular summer house and winter house have been built on the backs of enslaving people. And I can no longer ignore the voices of the oppressed. So consequences are coming. Which brings us to a question. If these great houses can come to an end, then how might you and I need to ask the same question ourselves? Here's one way to word it. If you were to ask yourself, am I investing my life my energy, my time, my treasure, my talents, am I investing them in things that have an end? Great houses that have an end? Or am I investing in a great God who has no end? That's really the question I think he's getting at here when he says this. I will destroy your winter house, it's going to have an end, and your summer house, it's going to have an end. Oh, it's made out of ivory, it's beautiful, but it's going to perish. And these great houses shall have an end What are you investing in these days temporal things or eternal things you know some eternal things are god and people when you invest in people when you help people you're investing in something that's eternal because we all live forever somewhere now, the people in Israel, they were giving their time, energy, and money to their local church, Bethel. But their church was not investing in the God of the Bible. Quick background here to understand why God's so ticked off at, at Bethel. If you remember in Amos chapter 1, verse 1, we learned that Amos was, was speaking in the days of Jeroboam. Okay? So he's the king. Well, Jeroboam didn't want people heading down to Jerusalem to worship the one true God, so he set up kind of a, a, an additional place of worship in Samaria because he didn't want to lose the tax revenue. He didn't want to lose the altar revenue. So he basically created an alternative church that kind of is about Jehovah God, but it's kind of not. In fact, he's so blunt. Here's exactly what he says here in 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 28. Therefore the king, Jeroboam, asked advice. He made two calves of gold and he said to the people, it is too much for you to go to Jerusalem, don't want to lose the revenue, here are your gods, where, the two calves of gold, oh Israel, there's your gods, he's now a polygamist, Uh, not polygamist, he's a polytheist, which brought you, these are the, the cows that brought you out of the land of Egypt. To which you, you got to be God saying, look at what I did. I saved my people, I rescued my people, I gave them a Passover land, I took on all the, the Egyptian gods, I gave them a law, I, a Red Sea crossing, and they've turned me into a cow. Oh, my God's having a cow because they've turned him into a cow. This is re- That's not me, I'm not a cow. This is this alternative worship where they're worshiping some other god. They've broken commandment number one, foreign gods, broken commandment number two, graven images. This is not a place of worship, but it looks like it. It's a gigantic, massive place of worship. It looks like a beautiful building with beautiful things. But God says, I don't know who they're talking to or who they're talking about or who they're worshiping, but it's not me. And because they've not exalted a god who has no end, they've built a big old building to temporal things that the Babylonians are going to plow through. And I think that's a warning for us individually, but as a church as well. I mean, what do we have? We've have got a great house, right? Because We don't want to build a place where people come and, and they end up thinking that this is about being a better person versus getting to know a God whose fruit comes through you No, no, we built a house 10 years ago, right? We just celebrated our 20-year anniversary of, of 10 years being in this building. We built this great house. But this house is a facility, and it facilitates something, right? And if you weren't here, it was amazing to see the great house going up. Oh, my goodness. These rafters above us, you can see there was a day that a crane put that on there. Look at that. It was an amazing day. And then this giant rafter in one piece got put on this building. And it was amazing the day we built our fireplace. The fireplace got built actually before the walls were put on, all the stonework. It was a beautiful time. And and we were able to build this building debt-free because a thousand people gave two, three, and four-year pledges of money. And it came in such a way that we were able to build it without having to take a loan because of the faithfulness of people giving. To build a facility. But what do facilities do but facilitate? And what do they facilitate? That's the question isn't it are they facilitating Baal worship or God worship As we finished building the thing the, the facility's already but it facilitated people It was when people came in the doors and on an opening day, people came in and kids came in the door and learned about Jesus and learned about God and felt loved and cared for by teachers. And people came in through this door in our grand opening as they filled this place and they learned for the first time, first time in church, haven't been in church in five years, ten years, never been in a place where the Bible so came alive in my life. And you got to hear this. And then people rushed out of the door after services and they came out into our atrium. And they met greeters and they met people and they started friendships and felt warm and welcoming and not a clique where everybody only talks to themselves and it was warm and welcoming. And the facility was designed to facilitate community and love and care And these three things. Like, how do we help people explore? How do we help people be equipped? How do we help people grow in the Bible? In fact, our elders who started our church 20 years ago were so concerned that churches start preaching the gospel and they start talking about Jesus and they end up in a theological ditch where they're not believing in the Bible or miracles or God and they teach some alternative gospel that our original elders put in place, that our doctrine is unchangeable without the unanimous consent of the original five elders. Well, they're going to die someday. Yep. And that way our church would be committed long term over time, with different board members and different team members and different generations, to always be aligned to the doctrine of who God is and who Jesus is and who the scriptures are. So as you think about what you're investing in, you think about what God is doing in this place, I would just ask you to pray and invest in things that matter. Maybe Horizon's one of those places you want to start small and give big to. Maybe you want to serve as we go to three services but maybe the thing God's calling you to do is to look at all the areas of your life and say, unrelated to my church, am I investing my time, treasure, and talents in things that have an end or a God who has no end? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that we get to be in a place where we teach people the scriptures that are true. The hard ones and the easy scriptures. And people discover a God who loves them and longs to know them. From the Old Testament to the New. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Thank you. We'll see you all next week.